You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. Hello and welcome to another session of the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Walker, and in today's session, I am joined by DM Rick, the creator of Hammer of the Gods Actual Play Podcast, which is a Geckos Media production. DM Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting to have you. Um, I got to tell you, I was listening this morning to the most recent episode of uh, Bad Boys of New Alexandria. <laughs> And holy cow, did your guys have me laughing my ass off during that show. It was hilarious. I think at one point you you were doing this whole thing where one of your characters was introducing NASCART as a <laughs> as a sport into like the ancient <laughs> Greek Absolutely. era. It was really funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is one of my favorite things about the player, Tim, who, you know, is one of the players for the Geckos and Grottos podcast, as well as one of the co-owners of Geckos Media. I mean, he is just amazing. I don't know if you've had a chance to check out Geckos and Grottos, but they are all improv. It's very little of the actual play D&D. It's almost entirely just improv. It's very much the yes and. That's awesome. When he does come on and play D&D for real, it just makes it that much more interesting because I never know what to expect whenever he's playing. Yeah, it seemed like the, that whole episode was just like a lot of laughs and everybody was having a great time. And I think at one point you said, well, we've had three minutes of actual D&D in this three hour session, but uh, it was very entertaining to listen to and a lot of fun. So um, just Thank ask you. you, when did you first start role playing? What got you into it originally? So I think I was like 10, 11, somewhere in there uh, back in the second edition days. And I had some friends who they were really into it. I think their older brother had started playing um, a few years older than us. And we were just at recess one day and our buddy was like, Hey, I learned about this game. I'm going to teach you how to do it. We started playing magic, the gathering like the same week. Mm -hmm. And it's just been like that ever since. Is there a particular system that you are more apt to play or, or do you kind of jump around a little bit? Honestly, um, I know like Dan, one of the, the players for both our main campaign and for the bad boys, he and I, had a group for a long time and we were very, very uh, reluctant to switch over to 5e. You know, we just had played third edition mm -hmm. forever, really, really loved it. And then when we finally switched over to 5e, it was, it was rough at first. It was a little confusing, just the differences, but honestly, I don't think I could go back. I love some of the lore and the source material from third edition, mm -hmm. but fifth edition is just such a huge improvement. Yeah, I think uh, I had a pretty similar experience. I started playing with um, AD&D a little bit, but quickly jumped into third edition and stuck with that 3.5 and stayed with that for most of my most of my gaming career, which I had a brief moment where we tried fourth edition, found that that really wasn't our preferred style, and then kind right. of jumped over to Pathfinder and started playing that pretty religiously. Um, although with fifth edition, I think that was a nice like return to what D&D should have been. So I, I find that to be a lot more, um, a lot nicer than fourth edition was. So I think just skipping fourth edition for me was kind of the right path. Yeah, I, I'm very thankful. I never got into fourth edition. I did kind of the same thing that I did with fifth edition. You know, I was just like, I don't want to do it. I like third. Why would mm -hmm. I change? And so managed to skip over that. And I've, I've heard there are some, Cool mechanics like the whole bloodied system and things there are yeah and there's a couple things i have to say no matter what system i'm running or what game i'm playing in that we've sort of cherry-picked from fourth edition that were really cool right. 
bloodied is one of them. It's a term we always use to describe, you know, kind of our health status now. And the other big one from 4E that we took was uh, skill challenges, which are awesome. And that whole system is... I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Uh, And I actually just learned from, it might've even been Dungeons and Daddies Mm -hmm. where they were talking about bloodied. Um, I'm not sure. A few different places have been talking about it lately. And I I had not ever heard of it, just having never played fourth edition. Mm -hmm. But the more I learn about it, I mean, it is really interesting, you know, gaining those extra abilities once you're below half health. Yeah. it's And it's a, it's a good way to just kind of gauge where your characters are at and know like, oh yeah, this enemy is bloodied. So you're like, okay, good. We're about halfway through this fight, which is kind of a a good like check mark. Okay. We're we're doing a good job. We're making progress. Right. Right. So do you have any uh, favorite moments from games that you've been in that you'd be willing to share or, or least favorite moments? Just something that stands out to you as, as memorable. Honestly, my longest running campaign has been the main pod. Um, Aside from that, you know, we, we would always come up with new characters, especially once we all were out of high school. It was just hard to stick to any campaign. Everybody had, you know, wives or kids or family or what have you. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to pick a lot of favorite moments because most of the time we've just kind of played low level characters. I will say, um, I guess it was episode 12 of our show with Gil and the uh, the the loot that he had with the Wonderwall rune that was probably one of my favorite. It was a huge mistake. I had found a, a homebrew, um, but one of the the creators that we follow on Instagram um, had homebrewed this rune that you know had the effect of if you sing the tune of Wonderwall, starting with well anyway here's Wonderwall, <laughs> then it casts Prismatic Wall, and it was fantastic. I really didn't read enough into it. I just kind of made the mistake of saying, well this is cool. And uh, Gil was supposed to be just a, a one or two episode character, mm-hmm. just a, a guest, because at that time we had a pretty consistent cast and we were like, well, I'd like him to come on. He's been playing D&D basically for as long as I have. We'd started learning it together. So I, I just thought that he would come on. And I did not realize, did not pay attention to it being a legendary item, you know, didn't really think about the fact that Prismatic Wall is a ninth level spell. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. <laughs> The uh, chaos the enemy, yeah, the enemy teleporting in and then Indiana Jones style being melted by the prismatic wall <laughs> was pretty fun. That was really cool. Unexpected, totally unplanned, but I thought it was pretty fun. I think a lot of the some of the best moments I always remember are the unplanned ones that just kind of take you by surprise. Because I think there's a value in that being shocked or being surprised by something that really does make it stand out a lot more. Oh, absolutely. So do you get to play very often or are you primarily a forever DM? Uh, mostly the Forever DM. At one point when we had a more consistent group outside of the podcast, uh, Dan, who plays Gil or Bion, depending on which uh, which side of our campaign you're listening to, he was DMing quite a bit for a while. But I mean, I think he and I both got a little bit frustrated with starting a new campaign mm-hmm. every six months or so. That is frustrating. Yeah, especially because everyone always wanted to start at level one right. and build up. When you get to like level three or four tops, it's like, well, you miss all the, all the high level flavor when you're always starting over again. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely run through that myself. Okay. So our main topic today is uh, alternate history homebrews. And we're talking about using historical fiction as a backdrop for campaign settings. And this is, you use historical events in your, uh, your live play podcast. And you set it in like the ancient Greek times. Is that correct? Yep. Absolutely. So can you just, yeah, just tell me a little bit about what your experience has been using 
sort of springboarding from our real world history and building a fantasy setting out of that? So realistically, I uh, like looking back, I kind of wish that I had done a little bit more research just to to know. But at the same time, it's been really fun just learning as I go. I can't tell you how many times I've been trying to think of how to do something mechanically. And then I start Googling, wait, did this exist back then? Like, was this <laughs> something that I think, I don't remember if it made it in the episode, but there's uh, early on, Jonas had mentioned that they were wearing scale mail. Mm. And I remember doing a lot of digging into armor and I hadn't seen anything up to that point. You know, everything that I had seen seemed like it didn't, hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of mentioned, well, you know, this is what I had seen. I done, I did some digging and yeah, it turns out that it wasn't necessarily super common, but it was just interesting finding out that scale mail armor has been around a heck of a lot longer than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been really cool. I listening to one of your recent episodes, I remember actually, um, I believe it was you, but it might've been one of the other um, characters on the show was talking about Jewish people being around back there. And that was something that caught me by surprise because I wasn't aware of that fact. So I think that is kind of one of the cool things about using a historical setting, even if you're, you know, changing it very drastically by throwing in magic and and fictional characters, but just kind of learning little tidbits of information that you didn't know. And that that was definitely me. That was something that, you know, I I always knew that Judaism was one of the oldest still extant religions, but I just never quite thought about when the the quote-unquote ancient Greek times were versus when like Judaism started. And realizing how much of an overlap there was just blew my mind, you know. The fact that there are a lot of old temples that were Jewish temples and had, you know, statues or other kinds of essentially memorabilia of Alexander the Great Hmm. is something that I, I never would have even imagined when I started this. But knowing that, it's just makes it that much more interesting. That it is interesting. Diverse. Yeah, definitely. When when you guys were discussing that, I was like, oh, holy cow, this is <laughs> fascinating. I look at all these things I'm learning just by listening to a TTRPG podcast, right? Hey, that's the goal. So can you tell me maybe some of the challenges, though, that um, you've had in adopting history from our world and into that sort of a setting? I think one of the biggest challenges, and most people, you know, if you know much about history, there's a lot of problematic stuff. Um, a lot of stuff that I don't want to just whitewash over and say like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that didn't happen in this world, you know. But at the same time, I really don't want this to be some doom and gloom, gritty, hardcore TTRPG podcast. You know, I want right. it to still be a little bit serious, but have some fun with it. And yeah, definitely just seeing how many horrible things happened. Um, that's been kind of tough to adapt show, you know, it did happen, acknowledge that it was something that is part of history, but try to move on from it in a positive way. Was there anything in particular about that setting um, ancient Greece that was most appealing to you and deciding to set your campaign there? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is I grew up my whole mom's side of the family, huge into mythology and Mm -hmm. Greek was just always kind of the one that, I seem to tend towards, you know, I I don't know what it was exactly. Maybe it was just how chaotic and weird and diverse their mythology is and how much information we have about it versus some of the other mythology where we don't have quite as many written stories and as many sources. So for me, just the fact that that was kind of what I grew up on, you know, whether it was reading like Edith Hamilton's mythology, which now I realize isn't 
always the best source, but you know, you got to learn somewhere or watching Xena and Hercules as mm-hmm. a, a kid back in the nineties or Disney's Hercules, you know, it's just always been a big part of my life. And so adapting that into kind of this homebrew world has been a really enjoyable process. And I've loved learning just all the time, every time that I'm prepping for something and I'm trying to just figure out, you know, historical events or things like that, that would fit in in some Mm -hmm. way. I learn more every single day. So I actually, some years ago ran a historical setting myself, and it was also set in like the ancient Greece era. And I think one thing about that, that really, really like spoke to me was it reminded me a lot, the way their gods interact with the people in Greek mythology reminds me of a lot of like Faerun during the time of troubles, <laughs> where it was just like the, they're down there on earth, they're asking favors of all their followers, and they're just kind of wreaking havoc and in sort of like a, you know, devil may care sort of con. I mean, it was, it's a lot of fun because you have oh, yeah. these huge larger than life characters that can be part of the story. Have you incorporated many of those into your campaign? So I'm trying to think, I believe most of that is stuff that's going to be coming up in future episodes, especially last year, we got a little bit behind, um, a couple of the players had jobs that come late spring and into the summer, they were just so slammed that they didn't even have time to play. And we kind of put things on hiatus for a little bit, didn't really post for a little while. But in the meantime, you know, we already had a few episodes uh, recorded. And then since then, we have just been recording nonstop. Mm-hmm. I think we're 10 or maybe even 15 episodes ahead Oh, that's awesome. Podcast. Yeah. So we have plenty, even if something comes up, even if people get sick, we can keep cranking them out for a while. But uh, there have been some appearances of some of the gods more in a, a minor mm-hmm. sense than anything. But definitely as it progresses, I plan to have more of an active role. Yeah, I think for me, they always showed up more as like quest givers than anything else. Right. Um, and not necessarily always through the gods themselves, but sometimes through like their avatar or their emissary or whatever, um, their, their priest or priestess. But you're right about the about the mythology of that world is so rich and there's so many stories. I mean, the Iliad and the Odyssey and all of the ones that we can think of, like Theseus and the Minotaur. And right. There's just such a, a rich wealth of information that you could run game after game after game in that setting. Absolutely. Especially when you're combining it with a whole different world of magic and things that, you know, they obviously believed in. Right. So it makes sense to set D&D stories in those worlds. And I think it's really interesting growing up and learning about Greek mythology. I just kind of always assumed that it was sort of kind of like Christianity is where it's more or less established. You know, there's not a lot of changing to the story and things like that. But as an adult, the more that I've delved into it and realized that there are often multiple versions of the same kind of story, um, you know, seeing when different authors write the same tale, especially, um, I guess it's the, uh, the Let's Talk About Myths podcast. I love her take on some of the myths because she really delves deep and looks for, you know, was this one written by a woman prior to mm-hmm. some of the, the more famous ones? Um, just some of the the other versions that didn't get passed down as uh, as much just really make it interesting to see depending on the author 
what kind of happens and how things play out. I think another thing about that setting in particular that I like is that they weren't afraid of including dark themes. And there's just something about the seriousness of of dark themes that I think helps tell a really good and compelling story. I absolutely agree. You know, it, uh, well, there are a lot of problematic things. Hmm. It can be a lot of fun to include, you know, the, the less problematic, but still dark sides of things, you know. I don't know. I'm, I'm drawing a blank now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs are pretty distracting sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. They they tended they tend to be like that. Sort of like uh, sort of like Zeus always looking for attention, aren't they? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to touch a little bit more on on psychology because I do like to incorporate that into my show whenever possible. And you um, do mental health social work in your real life job. Is that right? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about what it is you do, because I'm curious um, to know kind of how that affects your role playing or your DMing. Sure. I, I feel like it probably affects my really my gaming a lot more than I, I acknowledge sometimes, um, especially whenever I'm building worlds. Just thinking about, for example, I, I know early on that I just kind of off the cuff had talked about in Acadius, there being some areas that were a little bit more rough, a little more worn down. And as time's gone on, as I've kind of built this world while we're playing, although I have a, a pretty good overview, there's a lot of just the, the more minute details that I didn't even know what to do until we started doing the actual show and playing through it and uh, just thinking about it and growing as I've been recording this podcast and building this world, I definitely think it's been interesting to just reanalyze and think it doesn't have to be just like the real world, especially being, mm -hmm. you know, an American growing up in this system. Right. It's, it's pretty imperfect. It has a lot of good things, but there's a lot of things, especially in mental health and social work that could be a heck of a lot better. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you know that pretty well. Mm -hmm. So just thinking about the ways that we could make things better and, how I can make this world still dark at times, still fun and diverse and interesting, but make it a little bit better in its own way. I think for me, one of the things that people who play my games have commented on a lot is that uh, my villains seem very believable. And I think a lot of that has to do with getting a psychology education and understanding that the thought processes that people go through and the choices that they make don't make them any less of a real person. So I think having real villains that have like a history that is understandable and relatable. And you can look at them and say, yeah, man, I don't know if I was in that same position as this guy, I might've made the same choice. And I think that makes a villain like really understandable. Absolutely. And I, I definitely think since getting into social work, you know, there, there's a lot of times where I will work with someone and when I learn their history, I'm like, man, that's, that's really terrible either that you had to go through that or that you mm -hmm. did those things. And just seeing that they've grown from it, you know, they're not most of the time trying to say like, oh, well, you know, I'm okay with these things or what I did was fine. It's not an issue, you know, just seeing the growth from them. But at the same time, I, I think kind of where that goes to the TTRPG world is mm -hmm. you may not follow that path, you know, that there right. are some really terrible people out there. But I think kind of what you were saying is they, they had their reasons for it a lot of times. Right. It's not that they just were born evil and always did bad things. They yeah. had kind of that choice and they went down that path. Yeah. I, I always like to use the analogy that I think that a really good villain is the hero of their own story. They Absolutely. see themselves as the hero. Absolutely. And I, um, and I, and I really think that that plays in well, if you get to the end of a story where it comes time to do your final face off against the BBEG and, 
and whatnot. And the characters have to make a choice between, well, are we, is killing this enemy really the best choice? Right. Or is there a path for redemption? And I want him to understand, I want him to understand the villain in such a way that that is the decision that they're ultimately taxed with is, you know, what's actually the right thing to do here. Right. And I, I think, you know, a lot of what I've been reading recently has been talking about kind of those moral dilemmas in role-playing games and how those make for some of the, the most interesting, especially when we're just talking about pure role play, not so much mm-hmm. focused on like the combat and things of that nature, but just from a, a, an absolute role play aspect, you know, it's this guy is really evil and does a lot of bad things, but at the same time, he has kind of a point, you know, that I love that. Yeah. I, I love bad guys that have a point. And when you look at them, you go, oh man, they're wrong. But also, yeah, they're totally right at right. the same time. <laughs> right. Like you could, you could tweak a few things and do so much better. You could do so much good for the world. Right. Yeah. But in that villain's mind, they are, they're doing what they think is, you know, kind of the, um, the Anakin Skywalker where yeah, he feels sure. by having all that power and doing what to most of us would be really, really horrible that he's making the galaxy a better place. Yeah. He's going to save the people he loves. He's going to unite a broken fragmented galaxy and bring it to peace. That is always kind of like his ultimate goal. So yeah, he's, he sees himself as the hero and I think it takes him right there till the bitter end before he realizes, Oh, I should have probably gone about it the way these other people did rather than the way I did. Right. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Good talk. That brings us to tricks of the trade. So in today's Tricks of the Trade, I've asked DM Rick to come up with three ideas of settings for alternative historical homebrew games, and I came with three of my own as well. I'll go and uh, share my idea first. My first idea is the Battle of Thermopylae, or the setting where the 300 Spartan warriors held off the Persian army. And I just, I mean, it's, it's iconic. It's been in movies. Everybody kind of knows the story, but I've always wanted to be in that story, and I think it would be a really fun place to set a story. Oh, absolutely. I think that that has so much opportunity. You know, you can do a lot with it. Even looking at the movie 300, you know, they take a lot of time. It's not just the start and end of the battle. Mm-hmm. They have a lot that leads up to it, and it could really make for some, you know, if you're more of a, a political intrigue kind of player, that could be just a huge aspect of your game. Yeah, I really like political intrigue. I also like the idea of, you know, how different would that have looked if one side or the other had magic and the other one didn't, right? Like right. maybe that is why 300 were able to hold off so many is because, you know, they're flinging spells at these <laughs> millions that are onslaughting them. And interesting, interesting concept there. We hadn't talked about it prior to this, but something that we actually had recorded last summer um, when things were a little bit chaotic was a uh, based around the the Greek myth of the Caledonian boar that we did a, I think it ended up being like four or five session, little mini campaign just around that, where we took some of the heroes from the actual story. Uh, I think we may have come up with some who weren't quite in the story, but could have been reasonably. And I thought that was really cool. You know, we had a a fun chase aspect to it. Uh, A lot of the interaction with these famous heroes that a lot of them we would know. Some of them are a little bit less well-known. And I thought it was just really cool to play with. It is It is always a lot of fun bringing in known any known concept that the players can identify with and then be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I know this or this about that individual. Or maybe they don't even know much about it, but they get to learn something about it by playing in your game. Absolutely. You know, I think that that has so much. You know, we could have done a lot more with it than we actually ended up doing. 
um, as far as like the role play aspect. And even like the one I mentioned first, the, the Spartan setting, um, at the bottle of battle of Thermopylae, it could just be like three or four sessions. It could be part of a bigger story, right? Maybe being a few who survive it and continue on their journey elsewhere, but have that as a big part of their backstory would be kind of cool as well. Absolutely. My next idea um, would be Japan at the introduction of Western culture in the Meiji Restoration right around 1868, which is around the time of the demise of the Tokugawa shogunate. So the last shogun. And so it'd be really interesting, I think, because you have like the initial emergence of firearms, but you also have these feudal Japanese um, samurai who are battling as rebels, essentially, against um, the shoguns. And seems like a really cool place for both political intrigue and a lot of like really epic battles. I agree. And uh, I'm going to tie this a little bit into my my second one, something that I didn't ever really consider when I was learning about history is around that same time would have been roughly the wild West era in the U S mm-hmm. and just that kind of parallel of, you know, what if you had some of the samurai and some of the cowboys from that era, you know, whether they're, they're taken into Faerun or, you know, Greyhawk or where have you mm-hmm. just having them interact would be really interesting. And so kind of my, my second one, you know, the wild West, has a ton of historical stuff that you can base around, you know, whether it is actually some of the civil war battles or just more focused on like the, the rough and tumble era, you know, mm-hmm. the, the way things were out there. I mean, really, when you think about it, the wild West is a perfect companion to D and D tropes. Like you have people who are roaming the lands as adventurers, collecting bounties, hunting down bad guys. You know, right. it's like everything you want in a great magical fantasy game. It just has, you know, guns and cowboys and instead of fireballs and kobolds or <laughs> yeah, whatever. But you know, uh, if you're more of a comics fan, Things like Jonah Hex, or even some of the the Ghost Rider gets a little bit into mm-hmm. that era. Obviously, not quite as much, but still, the the more historical Ghost Riders really just make it interesting. Where you combine kind of that like the demon, the magical aspect with the old West. Mm. Just I think that has so much potential to explore. I do like blending uh, worlds together, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for just seeing really unique and fun ideas emerge that. Absolutely. You don't even think about when you're starting the game, but your players will come up with something and you'll have to respond to it. And it's just like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That would have been neat to have a shootout where one person had a gun <laughs> and another person had magic missile, right? Like trying to right. fling it off there. Um, my third idea would be um, set in the Arthurian era. Um, maybe your players are playing as like squires to knights or they're hopeful knights themselves, maybe hoping to become knights of the round table at some point. Um, but just kind of, I like that era or the mythology of that era in particular, because there is a lot of, you know, Merlin and the concept of magic and the Celtic influence and all that stuff that can play into that traditional European knights in armor and all that stuff too. Absolutely. I was going to say, you know, it, it kind of is that perfect blend of the the pagan with the Christian, you know, the old school versus the, at that time, kind of new school. And there's just so much you could do with it, you know, mm-hmm. especially making it more of a, a medium to high magic world. Mm-hmm. Where obviously, you know, we know Arthur and Merlin, there was some magic in mm-hmm. those stories, but it was a little bit more of the, the Lord of the Rings, like kind right. of subtle magic. But making it a, a much more high magic world could really be a lot of fun to play in. And especially you bring in like the concepts of Avalon and there's still so much, you know, unknown about that that you can really do anything with it when you're given a blank slate of oh, here's this place of magic 
magic and rebirth. You can just build on that with anything from D&D almost. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, my third one would be, it's a little bit more broad, but, you know, just playing in kind of the ancient Celtic world would be a lot of fun. Just their whole system of mythology. Well, there's not quite as much firsthand knowledge, not as many stories that we have in detail that we do with Greek mythology. It's still just absolutely fascinating. It's something that I would love to play around with. And even, again, had no idea whenever I started out on this that there was a lot of interaction with like the Gauls and the uh, the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. You know, just the, the way that those worlds blended and you know, we, we kind of know about the Greeks and the Egyptians and how the Greeks kind of adopted some of the Egyptian gods. But I had no idea until I think a couple of weeks ago, even uh, that some of the, the Gaulish, you know, the ancient Celtic gods mm-hmm. were also adopted similarly by the Greeks. You know, that they're while they may have been a, a colonizing people, they had a little bit more of a, a benevolent, not totally, but, you know, a little bit more of a benevolent aspect to it, of a, more of a blending rather than a, a forced you have to assimilate to this culture. And I just think it's really cool, you know, that blending of the Greek with the Celtic or, you know, playing more in the uh, like the Roman where they were mm-hmm. trying to overtake the pagan lands. Right. It just has so much so much room for exploration. Immediately when you're talking about that sort of blended culture, I think of kind of like the dialogues of Plato or the ways like you could incorporate things we don't really understand, like Stonehenge and how that came right. into be all the, you know, the standing stones through all of the Celtic lands and, and all of this. I mean, there's a huge history of magic and, and just so many, so many ways you can go with that. Okay. Thank you so much. DM Rick for being here with me. But before we go, I do want to ask you how my listeners can connect with you either directly or where they can listen to Hammer of the Gods. Yeah, so you can listen to our podcast, I believe, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. I know we are for sure available on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, all the, the big ones. Mm-hmm. And I would say we're probably most active on our Instagram under the handle of HamPod. So it'd be at H-A-M-M-P-O-D. Um, we also just recently started up a Patreon uh, with the, the same username, so you can find us there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Listeners, if you like this episode, please check out the Hammer of the Gods podcast. Also subscribe to this podcast and check out my book, Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. It's available on Amazon and you can find a link here in the show notes. I'll go ahead and put a link to the podcast, Hammer of the Gods, as well. Feel free to send me an email if you have any suggestions, comments, or ideas for future shows. The address is all one word, dungeonsdragonpsychology at gmail.com. Thanks again, DM Rick, for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we'll see you all next session.